Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. And as, as Scott S. in the comments is already letting me know, Mitch Marsh just saved Australia in the ashes. 118 on 118 balls. Let's go. I have not watched a second of Mitch Marsh's uh, knock today, but we will, we will see how it goes. The more important thing, though, is we have Mark Schindler here. I am broadcasting live from Las Vegas in the middle of a kitchen. There's a non-zero chance I move at some point to, like the bedroom-ish area in this thing I have in order to reduce echoing, which I'm now realizing is like a thing here as I'm talking. But Mark is in Connecticut right now, and Mark Schindler is joining me. But more importantly, Mark Schindler, you just watched Scream for the first time in your life because you are a child. Uh, I guess you're 26 now, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, just for, for reference for people, Scream came out in 1996, so it was a year before I was born. So I was not into scary movies until, like, I turned about 19 or 20. So uh, it took me a while to get here, but, yeah, it's why it took me so long. I've been uh, I've been good at, like, watching all the current stuff and caught up on a lot of classics, but now, here I am. Scream was incredible, man. That was an absolute blast. Um, it, like, takes being meta and then just extrapolates it to the 10th degree. And it helps too, because like, I at least understand the, uh, um, I at least like understand the the concept that this is like one of the first movies that really did that. So I think it hits harder in appreciating that. Obviously it's not the same as you yeah. know, having the full context when you see it for the first time. But I think I was like kind of blown away by actually how well acted it was and what it was trying to be too. Like that was really oh. fun to watch. It's so good. It, yeah. Like Matthew Lillard and shout out insane. Like, Absolutely insane in that movie. Yeah. That, that is a Matthew Lillard like off the rails performance in the best possible way. Um, I'm trying to think what, what else. Apparently threads is a thing now. I, I board one 14 hour <laughs> flight and like a new social media platform yeah. debuts. I think the best way to put it is I'm pouring several out for all of my friends who run social media accounts for NBA and WNBA teams because, good God, um, what they've had to endure in the last five or six days, uh, I can't comprehend. So I'm glad to not be them is the best way to put it. Okay, so on the docket today on the show, we're going to go for like an hour and 10 minutes from now because that is when I have to go down and get breakfast. Uh, with people with the athletics. So we actually have a hard out today at about noon Eastern time. We're going to talk Damian Lillard and the continued leverage battle that seems to be occurring between Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers front office. We're going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks continuing to have an awesome offseason. We're going to talk about Bull Bull getting waived very briefly. We're going to talk about 
the Houston Rockets. I just have a section labeled here. Mark Schindler talks Houston Rockets because I don't know what Mark wants to say, but I, I know that he was passionate about talking about the Rockets. So we're gonna let him. We're gonna let him cook a little bit. Correct. And then finally, we're gonna ask the question: uh, Should we worry about Brandon Miller's summer league start? And the obvious answer is no. But we're gonna explain why people shouldn't worry about Brandon Miller's summer league start. Okay. The reason we're going to start with Damian Lillard is that Adrian Wojnarowski wrote this big takeout on the Lillard negotiations. And for people who don't know, like Woj does not write these big columns with reporting all that often anymore. So for him to do this is somewhat meaningful in my regard. It's very clear that what's happening here, and he references this in his story, uh, Lillard's agent Aaron Goodwin is calling trade partners and warning against trading for his client, basically saying that if they acquire Damian Lillard, Lillard will be unhappy and like you won't get the best out of him. It's clear, though, that the Portland Trailblazers front office, led by Joe Cronin, who has not had to make this substantial of a trade yet in his tenure as the Portland Trailblazers lead basketball operations executive is struggling to come to a point where he can construct a deal that gets him the offer that he needs and the value that he needs trading Damian Lillard and getting him to Miami, which is Lillard's destination of choice. It's very clear that there needs to be a three-team circuit breaker if Lillard is going to get to Miami. Miami offering Tyler Hero, Jaime Jaquez, and Nikola Jovic, and like three pick swaps and a first rounder is not going to get you home. There's just going to be better offers on the table. So they need to find a way to circuit break this thing and figure it all out. But all of this is playing out in public in such a real substantial way now to where it feels messier than what I think Damian Lillard and everybody wanted it to be. Where, where do you sit on this Mark? I'll, I'll open the floor now and say like, this is where, this is where it stands and we're trying to figure out where does Damian Lillard end up does he end up in Miami? I think the odds are still pretty likely he does. But it, it is clear that there's like a real leverage play and like a real behind the scenes war that's kind of happening, I think. Um, I think I'm less certain that it that he ends up in Miami. Uh just because, you know, and I, I really tried to sit with it and um get a better feel of of how these things tend to go. I know that the Dame situation is a little bit different, but like I think the best um, the best representation we have of something similar is like what happened with Paul George when he was in Indiana. And I think, you know, everybody was, you know, he really wanted to go to LA. That was all the initial reporting that came out um, when, when it was announced that he was not, I mean, I mean, that started during the season, obviously like, you know, Paul really wants to play in LA. He's from Palmdale. Like let's, let's get him back there. Um, obviously ends up there eventually, but I think that's what will be interesting to see. Like, I think that it's very possible that he ends up going somewhere we really don't entirely expect right now, just based because so much of this is coming out of the source reporting from both sides. And um, that would be my assumption. And just because, like you were saying, too, I feel like the actual mechanics to make a deal happen to Miami right now 
unless Portland is willing to take something way smaller or a team comes and chips in with a what to make it a three teamer like I just struggle to see it happening um because if I'm Portland like you can't like yes they have a really good base right now but also you can't really afford to mess this up um you like especially with what uh, a lot of star trades have netted when you look at you know not just an expiring when you have a, a substantial deal left on the table so like I I just, again, like, I don't think that they can afford to mess it up. And I think that's been very clear that they have no intentions of messing it up um, with how this all has gone. Um, as far as where I think the situation stands, like, for me, uh, I do think that this, they're t- I'm just kind of tired of the think pieces about what stars should or shouldn't do or, or how teams should or shouldn't handle it. And um, we don't really need to spend any time on that because I think you're just doing a disservice by continuing to propagate some of that bullshit. But, um, like I, I think with where I'm at on the entire thing, um, I'm just I, I I'm very curious to see where it gets done because it feels like even removing like my own emotional feelings on on how trades do or don't work. Like I think um, it feels like this is going to get addressed in the next CBA. Um, like I know we, that this, we just had one done. I know we just had one <laughs> done, but like it feels like it, like I, I okay. So that's yes. But also, like that one got it got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and I feel like what we're, maybe next CBA is the wrong way to put it, but it, it does feel like within the next three or four years we're hitting a pretty big inflection point with how business is done in the NBA. Um, and maybe somebody said that over and over again for the last decade, but this is the first time for me where I felt like, I mean, it does feel like we're hitting saying an untenable point gives it the wrong connotation. Um, but I do think like it's going to hit that point where ownership um, and just team team governorship and, and, and front offices are going to uh, be uh, it, I'm just interested to see what happens. I, I, I don't know. I don't have a concrete answer, um, but. And I, well, I, I here, don't know. Here, yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll take it from there. So like, I, I think it is more likely than not that he does end up in Miami all of the reporting outside of Woj is that he'll end up in Miami. And I think it's because very clearly Aaron Goodwin and Damian Lillard's representation is trying to push that. And more often than not guys end up getting to where they want to go. But there are examples of situations where that does not happen. You mentioned Paul George, you know, going to Oklahoma city from Indiana. You're hundred percent right. Paul George wanted to go to Los Angeles the first time and that didn't happen. Donovan Mitchell, you know, did not theoretically end up in Cleveland because of preference, right? Mitchell didn't push it as hard as Damian Lillard is in terms of where he wanted to end up but everyone pretty clearly reported that he wanted to go to the Knicks. Like if there was a preferred destination, the Knicks were probably it. Right. Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard did not say that, you know, I want to end up in Toronto when San Antonio moved him. They just decided to move him for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl and picks, right? Like there are a number of these deals where, Stars don't get to where they want to go. And again, we literally just saw one last year with Donovan Mitchell where that didn't happen. So I think at the end of the day, it is likely he ends up in 
Miami because that's how these things do tend to go. But I also can't, I can't wrap my head around why, why barring a third team, Portland would do that. Uh, we, we have a question here from NBA rigged. Like if it is Miami, what is the percentage chance it involves a third team? I think like 90 plus. Yeah. You can't get, you can't get to a Damian Lillard package if you're Miami. Well, and hasn't it been reported too, um, or at least like loosely reported that they're just not very interested in title here at Portland. That is like seemingly. Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, I get that. Like you, you have Anthony Simons and I know, some might disagree with me on this. I'm higher on Anthony Simons and his potential than I am on on Tyler right now. Um, and that's no slight to Tyler. I just think Simons is going to be that good. Um, but then even then, like, okay, you, you have Shaden Sharp, you have Scoot. It's not like you can't play guards together, but I just think there's some positional redundancy there, and I'd get rather getting back something different and you know having a different package altogether, just getting back more picks because it doesn't really make a ton of sense for what they're trying to do right now. So that's all to say, like, I'm with you 100%. Like, I think this is almost definitely a three-teamer if it happens with Miami. It it basically has to be. I think it absolutely has to be a three-teamer if this gets done. Um, Does it get done? I don't think it gets done for a while. Like, I think we're going to keep talking about this on the podcast for the next little while because it doesn't seem like this is an easy trade. Uh, It seems like Joe Cronin and the Portland trailblazers rightfully are going to dig their heels in. And I think it's smart for them to dig their heels in. It's what I would do if I was running the show in Portland. I think it's really smart. And I think they should try and get as many offers as they can uh, moving forward. Again, do I think it's more likely than not? He ends up in Miami. I do, but again, like uh, they, they don't have the assets to do a Damian Lillard deal given that they're not willing to include Bam out of bio and they shouldn't be willing to include Bam out of bio. No. It's why trades are hard to make in the NBA. It truly is. It it is the biggest reason why NBA trades are exceptionally difficult to make. It's not just whether or not you have the assets. It's whether or not you have the assets that fit both your goals and the other team's goals when you're trying to make a deal. And I don't really see these two teams lining up but if a third team gets involved like brooklyn maybe like maybe you could circuit break it with brooklyn maybe you could with san antonio in some way maybe like there are a number of ways you could theoretically construct this i just also find it fascinating that this is playing out as publicly as i can really remember a trade request like truly I, i can't remember a trade request where this thing has been such a public leverage war. It does happen, but to this extent feels aggressive to me. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, and I feel like maybe, I mean, maybe this is setting a precedent for what it's going to continue to be. But at the same point, and maybe people don't, maybe agents and players don't care about it, but it does seem like a lot of the goodwill that Dame has been afforded. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to say rightfully or wrongfully the last couple of years, but it does feel like there's been a lot more, um, Maybe I've been too online, but it does feel like there's a lot more pushback and uh, outright resentment to this than I, I think I would have anticipated, um, you know, even a year or two ago. And just to, to, to speak on that in general, like with the with Dame, 
I, I'm never going to say anybody getting their money is wrong. I think he was right to take the deal and do what he did. I think legitimately, like, I do think that Portland and him were trying to figure this out. But as soon as the scoot, scoot happened, like, that just changes everything. Like, I think it's so important to take in the historical context when you look at everything. Like, they tried to, to, to do this to a degree, this exact same thing with what happened with Brandon Roy. Like, Brandon Roy gets injured. Dame happens. They're like, well, what if we try and thread this? And then injuries keep piling up. Things don't work out. Okay, LaMarcus leaves, and they try and retool. Um, and now it's like, okay, we can try and make this happen. We, you know, we, 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 we brought Jeremy Grant back, maybe something else happens, then scoot happens. And it's like, okay, well, this is, we're, we're at an impasse here. Like we don't want to trade scoot. And I understand that completely from Portland's perspective, because why the hell would you want to trade scoot? Um, but at the same point, it's like, okay, we, we can't, we haven't rebuilt like this team. Granted, it's a new front office. It's not, it's not the same people, but as an organization, they really haven't rebuilt in a long time. It's very similar to kind of what the Pacers had to do um, in, in pivoting to taking Tyrese Halliburton in some ways. Like, and it, it's almost to a larger scale with that, in my opinion, because you're trading game. Like, it's not the same. Um, but I just think it's so worth noting. Like, I get it from both perspectives. I get that it's difficult, and I think some people are losing sight of that. Like, it's not as cut and dry as it gets made out to be, but um, yeah. Sorry, I know I was going long on that, but that's where I'm at. No, I I don't disagree. And a big part of why this is so hard is that contract situation, right? So any general manager that acquires Damian Lillard essentially has him for four years because I don't really see a circumstance where Damian Lillard is turning down $60 million when he's 36 years old, Yeah. right? So I don't blame Dame for taking that money. He should absolutely take that money. He's entitled to that money. He earned it over a decade in Portland. Also, I think that you probably do have to live with the way that trades are constructed in today's NBA, the potential that you get moved somewhere you might not want to go and makes it hard. It, it truly does make it very difficult. And if a team acquires him and gives up the substantial assets that it would require to do so, he's not just going to not play there. Like that's not who he is. And that's not, it's not, not really something that you can do. So I, I do think Portland has more leverage here than what like people in the media seem to be saying outside of Woj. I also just know the way that these things work and the best result for everybody is if Miami can rope in a third team that actually values Tyler hero as an asset and is willing to give up picks and acquire Tyler hero. It's why Brooklyn, like you can make a case for Brooklyn making sense is because they can get off of Ben Simmons. They can see Tyler hero potentially as an asset and give up like real pick value in a deal to Portland. Do I think they would give up enough pick value where it makes sense for Portland to do it? I don't, uh, all of their picks that are valuable are five years out basically. Mm-hmm. So if I'm that Portland front office, I don't I don't want this at the end of the day. Like I, I don't I truly don't want this. But there are a number of ways that you can try to construct this. There are a number of third teams that you can include. Um we'll see where it goes, I, I think. But I'm fascinated by how this is playing out publicly because it, it is just like a very strange situation across the board. Let's move on. Let's talk about Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks acquired Grant Williams 
in a sign-in trade that involved a four-year, $54 million contract. Smart move, in my opinion. Uh, Mm -hmm. Grant Williams is about as perfect of a fit as you're going to find for that situation, I would say. Boston agreed to do a sign-in trade. I believe that they get, according to Woj, three three second-round picks in this deal. No, 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 no. They get two two future second-round picks, and then the San Antonio Spurs get Reggie Bullock and a swap, like a pick swap with Dallas, if I remember correctly. So the big thing here is that Boston has lost Grant Williams, and Grant Williams is going to play for Dallas. And I think this is about as good of a move as Dallas could have made. Uh, Grant Williams is a 40% three-point shooter on catch-and-shoot threes. I feel great about him being able to knock down those shots. He is a tough physical defensive player that you can play across the front court, which is exactly what you need next to Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. I think this is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous acquisition. And it just tops off a great summer for the Dallas Mavericks. I loved what they did at the draft getting Olivier Maxence Prosper and Derek Lively two potential stud defenders to put next to Luca and Kyrie. You get off of the Davis Bertans contract. You now have acquired at least one plus defender in Grant Williams in free agency. I think this is about as good as Dallas could have done in reshaping their roster around Luca and Kyrie. Where are you at on the Dallas Mavericks at this point? Yeah, I agree. I really have liked what they've done. Um, I think I was, uh, I wasn't as certain of what I felt about the, like I liked the Rashawn move, it you know immediately uh, when they when they made the move for Rashawn Holmes, just because I think a lot of their issues last year was. They just didn't have – like, I think a lot of – right now, if you don't have a star level five, I think you really just need to be comfortable in having versatility at the five and having two or three different looks you can throw. So I think adding Rashawn, even if he doesn't end up being a 30-minute-per-game guy, like having him – I think Lively project's the wrong term, but, like, I think he's a guy who's going – you're going to have to ease him into NBA minutes. I don't think he's – like, I think he can do impactful stuff right away, and I think – Dallas as a landing spot is just about the best landing spot for him, for me in in the draft. Um, But like point being, like, I think they've really upgraded what their versatility is in the front court. That matters a ton, especially with how they dealt with injuries last year. Um, And adding Grant, like I, I think on one hand it's tough for Grant because you know, like, I don't remember what the reported figures were that he was looking for uh, when he turned down the deal from Boston early on in the year. But um, like, obviously this is not it, but I still think when you're looking at this from a Dallas perspective, like you're getting a guy who I think you could be comfortable starting and just saying he's going to be a good rotation player for you. Um, for what would like I four for fit for, uh, 54 over four is like, that's, that's not starter money. Like that's below starter money right now based on how yep. things go. So like, I think getting him for that and just getting a good player who's still only what he's only 24. Um, just getting a player who has room to grow. He he did grow last year. Obviously, he dealt with some struggles down the back end of the year. He struggled a little bit with his confidence. I do think his defense was still solid last year, not as good as it was the year before. But then he had moments in the playoffs where he, he showed himself again. Like I, I think that a, a change of scenery 
and getting him to a team like this is going to be fantastic for him because I think it's just this is a team to me that em- empowers a lot of what Grant Williams can do. Like you're going to get a consistent ability to attack space because of what Luca and Kyrie are doing, and I think that's perfect for him. I think it's dead on. I mean, he's a guy that can relocate into jumpers from the corners. If someone closes out on him heavy, he makes 40% of his catch and shoot threes. The offensive role is going to be limited here. The other thing that he can do that he just didn't have to do a lot of in Boston is I think that you can do a little bit of him as like a screener where he can short roll and pass. Yeah. Like we saw a lot of that passing ability at Tennessee. And even though he didn't have to do it in, da- in Boston, I believe he has that latent ability to potentially be able to do it in Dallas is like an interesting counter in that regard. I, I love everything about this. This is the exact kind of guy that they should have been chasing for mid-level exception money. It, it is a perfect deal. And, you know, they get off of the Reggie Bullock money. They, you know, give up a couple of second round picks in the process to do it. it it's just a really, really smart, trade across the board and now they have offer sheeted Matisse Thibel at three years 33 million look I'm not the biggest Matisse Thibel fan in terms of like the basketball side I think he seems like an unbelievable human like seems like an incredible dude uh really thoughtful really smart in a way that like I really respect I I worry about the offense with him Blazers fans will point to the fact that he shot 40% off the catch from three, like in his 16 games or whatever. I'm skeptical and dubious that he's going to continue to shoot at a reasonable level, which means I don't know that I would want to pay Matisse Thibel three years, 33 million. But I think if you're Dallas and you have Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving and you need somebody who can just be a monster point of attack defender and be an awesome wing defender, it makes more sense for them to pay him that money than it does for Portland to match that money at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, exactly like you said is my point. I think both you and I are both on the lower end on Tybal and, and where he is as a player right now because I think I'm right with you. I don't really believe in the offensive improvement in Portland. I think that he had a little bit more confidence initially and started doing some stuff. And then I thought that really kind of faded as his time went on, even with it being, he was only there, what, month, month and a half. So um, I, I still think that there's room to be excited about him. I still think the defense is a plus and you, you, you know, especially in the right scenarios. Again, I think this just goes back to Dallas. Like this is what they need. Like, yes, they ideally is Matisse Thibel, a three level scorer who can handle, who can pass, who can really create for sure. Like you want every player to be like that. That's not reality. I think to me, when I look at this, they're not looking at him to start. They're looking at him to be a player who can come in, potentially develop a little bit more as a younger guy, has an immediate impact as a defender, and gives them some more versatility on that end because they just did not have it last year. Like, that's what stuck out to me, especially after they made the Kyrie trade. Part of it, I do think that they lost just some of their connectivity in general, but like a lot of it was just they didn't really have answers for, for teams that could, could be multiple on offense. Like, we saw them really try. Like, I mean, they even went playing small. Like, they before the Dorian Finney-Smith trade, jeez, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith trade before the Kyrie trade, um, they were playing DFS at the five at times. Like, they're really just trying to see what the hell could work, and nothing worked. Like, it, I, I didn't think activity was the problem most of the time. I thought it was mostly just not having answers to be different. And I think Tybal brings that. And and again, like, even if it ends up not working out, it's three for thirty-three. 
it's not like you're offering him a max. Like I'm just, that's not a deal that I'm worried about. I think it's a good offer from them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a reasonable offer. Maybe is yeah. the way I Yeah, reasonable is a good way to put it. And the big thing for them now moving forward, if they do get Matisse Thibel, you know, I think you can very much make a credible case for Portland matching. If you want to try and reduce the defensive workload on Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons early in their careers, if you feel like he can grow into something a little bit more offensively, I think there is like a pretty real chance that they do match at the end of the day. They gave up a couple of second round picks for him in order to acquire him. But, you know, uh, do I want to pay $43 million a year for the next three years for Jeremy Grant and Matisse Thibel? I don't really. And I think the Grant deal is going to be relatively difficult to get off of. And neither of those guys are particularly high feel offensive players. And that worries me a little bit moving forward. I think there's a fairly real chance that they match that deal at the end of the day, but it's like 50 50 in my mind, I guess it, it really is like a toss up. That, that's not like a sexy answer, I guess for people, but like, I, I do think you can make a case credibly both ways. If you're Portland and we'll find out, I think today, whether or not they're going to match, I think that the moratorium ends uh, it might be tomorrow that we'll find out. Um, but now we're in a circumstance where you can credibly have like a real defense, especially in the 2024 25 season around Luca and Kyrie. Like you can put out Luca and Kyrie with Grant Williams, Omax Prosper, and Derek Lively potentially. And those are three, hopefully, it's even by Lively's second year, like real plus defenders out there with those guys who give you rim protection, who give you like real flexibility and versatility off the ball defensively and on the ball defensively. I love that idea. I think that's super, super sharp. Um, you, you also have Maxi Kleba in the mix there somewhere, and Maxi's a really good defender. And you have like a, a number of different options in Josh Green as well, who I think is ready to take a step forward, uh, given his ability to defend and you know play out in transition and even shoot a little bit now. It's the exact kind of roster that I would build moving forward around a Luca Kyrie combination. I think they've done a spectacular job rebuilding this roster. Like truly, I had so many questions about Nico Harrison and Mark Cuban. Every, every decision is the decision I would make so far. Like I, I, I will, I think they have done a really great job this off season and those, they deserve a lot of credit. They handled the draft perfectly and now they've knocked free agency out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't have anything to add to that. I'm right with you. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we will jump into, I think we're next up is Bull Bull for us, and that'll be less fun. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. 
some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. Mark, I don't know if you saw the rash of like social media posts about like Victor Wembanyama comparing him to Bull Bull. I was like kind of losing my mind a little bit while they were happening. Bull Bull is seven foot two, he can't handle the ball. Him and Victor Wembanyama are nothing alike. Truly, like as basketball players, they both are tall and can dribble. That's really it. I yep. was not all that surprised to see Orlando wave Bull Bull, I guess. I said at the deadline, I got a lot of shit from people at the deadline saying that I thought Orlando should look to like try to trade him and cash, cash in on like the first half of the season value that he displayed. And now they're going to end up getting nothing for him because they waived him. They have the front court depth to be able to manage this. He's like more of a wing than he is a front court player. Like he's, he can't, the problem with Bull Bull is he can't defend. He can't defend anybody. He's never been able to really defend anybody because he can't anchor at the center position. And his hips are so high that he's not actually capable of like sliding in space and being able to handle wings and guards and things like that. I, Bull Bull's like not a player I would look to sign if I was running a team, but I agree that he's talented and think he's like a really fun player. It gets into what I talk about all the time with Spinella when we do draft stuff. Like there's a difference between being a novel player that is interesting and fun and like creative and 
know, does cool things on the court and being like a good player and like a good prospect and somebody that is impacting winning at a high level, which is ultimately what NBA teams care about. Right now, Bull Bull is novel. He is not all that impactful on winning. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on Bull Bull? Because I I was truly not surprised to see this happen. Yeah, I mean, I was with you at the deadline. I thought that they should have probably looked to move him. And Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like there were rumblings that they were shopping him or trying to find a way to move him. Um, I I don't want to misquote anybody, but I, I do remember seeing stuff like that. Um, and that just makes sense. Like, and this is to be fair, like I think Bull Bull legitimately did get better as a basketball player last year, but it's it's just important to note why. Like, yes, the numbers popped, but a lot of it was okay, Orlando was killed. Like, it's easy to forget. Orlando got hammered with injuries in the first month and a half of the season last year. Like, Suggs was out, Cole Anthony was out, um, Markel still wasn't back yet. So, like, they had very little at the guard spot. And they just leaned into saying, hey, okay, we have nobody who can stay in front of the ball on defense. We have nobody who can really bring the ball up on offense and run pick and roll for us. So we're going to play really big. We're going to play a shit ton of zone. And we're going to go from there. So they empowered Bull to like it. Part of what was, again, important to know, like they gave Bull Bull usage. They said, okay, we're going to let you rip and run uh, and, and get things going in transition. We're going to let you initiate some things in the half court. And we're going to play a ton of zone and you're going to be able to, to be impactful as a help side defender. And I thought it was really important for them trying to figure everything. I mean, that was like Paolo was like pretty much their their point guard to, to, to start the season, which I, I think, again, like just reinforces how awesome Paolo was this last year, like that he came in and was yeah. doing that right away. But again, like I think as soon as the team got healthy, they went away from it. And, and Bull was just getting spot minutes off the bench from time to time eventually was pretty much out of the rotation. I mean, this felt like pretty foreseeable. Um, and again, I don't mean that to be unfair. Like, I think that if you look at some of the more zone heavy teams, like I don't necessarily think he fits at all what Miami wants to do. But if you look at teams that are, are more comfortable running zone, like maybe there's a chance that they, they swing on him and see if they, he can do some of the things. But I think part of what the issue is, is like, he's not a player who really thrives just being an off ball scorer. Like he's a guy who really needs to have, the ability to to set himself up with his handle and like, I mean, like we just mentioned, getting out in transition is really big for him. Getting the opportunity to create his own shot is big because, like you mentioned, with the stuff with Wemby, what's so different is their release point. Like he's seven foot two, but his release point is not high in a shot. Like he doesn't really get a lot of lift off the ground. Like yes, by being seven foot two and and, and releasing the ball, the ball is high. But I, he was one of the most blocked players per attempt last year because of what his release point can be when it's off the catch. Like, um, like they opted to try and just not spot him up in the corners that much last year, or tried to really get away from that because he really struggled with, with his, the actual timing on a shot. Like it takes him a while to actually get his shot off. Um, so again, like it's, I think that there are things that you can do on the basketball court that are positive and really solid. But I, I think again, like you're looking at the, okay, this was such a, condensed version of what the team was and what the team was asking of him um, was so uh, out there for, for what a team would ask for of him in terms of, like you mentioned, in terms of impacting winning, he's just not there yet. Uh, that's being realistic. That's being honest about who he is as a player. And that's, and that's why he fell out of the rotation. Like I, I really do hope that he's able to put things together and things can work for him, but I think it's going to have to happen in a very, uh, 
again, like a team that's saying, hey, we're going to just play strictly zone when you're on the court and, and find a way to be comfortable doing it. And, okay, then you have to have the personnel that makes it possible to do that and be effective in it, not just have it be, like you mentioned, like a gimmick that your team runs just because you have one guy who who is most effective doing that. Like, it's just there are a lot of confluencing factors that are all coming together in, in what made Bull pop early on in the season. Um, that it's just really, like, it's – tough to see him uh replicating that in uh in in just your your average nba situation i think it's right i think it needs to be in a situation where he can continue to grow and is going to continue to get to make mistakes which means it can't be in a situation where a team is trying to win orlando wants to try and win more games this year it's actually hard to find teams that aren't trying to win more games this year Portland could be one of them if they move Damian Lillard. Washington, it seems like, is going to be one of them. San Antonio, like, theoretically might be one of them, although I think that Wembenyama is probably going to force them to win sooner than people think. Um, But it's actually hard to find the teams. Like, I was looking at, you know, Matt Moore did win projections for the Southeast Division, and he had Charlotte at, like, 25 and a half. And then I was like, well, to me, like Charlotte's probably going to be a little bit better next year. They're going to get full seasons from LaMelo and get Miles Bridges back. And, you know, they're going to have Gordon Hayward and everything like that, right? Uh, you know, Terry Rozier, like they can be a little bit older. Maybe they get PJ Washington back. Like you, you can make some sort of case on this, right? But then you look through history in terms of, the number of teams over the last five years that win 25 games or fewer. Mark, do you know on average how many teams in the NBA per season win 25 games or fewer every year for the last five years? It's less than one, right? Or it's, it's less than one to write about one. No, no, five five point two teams. Oh, wow. Okay, never mind. Wow. Okay, jeez. Win 25 games or fewer per year. So if you're trying to figure out, you know, who are going to be the worst five teams in the league, I probably would have Charlotte there right now. And on average, teams end up losing. If you're, if you're one of the five worst teams, you probably only win 25 games. That's the way it works. I think you can make a case that there's more parity around the league now and that there's more uh, teams that are contending, like Detroit wants to take a leap forward. Houston wants to take a leap forward. Um, Charlotte is trying to take a leap forward. Like these teams that were bad last year trying to move up the rungs, so they should theoretically be better, but historically, five teams lose you know, 57 plus games per year. And it's a bit surprising that that's the case, I think. So Bowl, I think, needs to find one of those teams that is okay losing 57 plus games and going 25 and 57 because he still has a long way to go and he needs to be able to play through mistakes. That's kind of where I'm at at this point on him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I hope that he can figure things out because I never want to see somebody uh, who doesn't have it, you know, who doesn't get to where they want to. Um, but I, I, I agree. I think it's just uh the, the Wemby stuff has always been a little bit out of pocket for sure. 
Okay. Uh, this is where we get into the Mark uh, Talks Houston Rockets section of the show. I talked about the Rockets for probably 30 minutes uh, last Sunday and Saturday. I guess it would have been first two days of free agency. So I'll hang back to start here and I, I will give you the floor. Uh, Mark Schindler talks Houston Rockets. Go. Well, I, I apologize in advance if I rehash anything you said. Um, I think my biggest thing that I came away with, like automatically, I think maybe some of it quieted it down after, um, after people um, saw other deals that came out. But I mean, I, that's kind of what I was expecting for Fred Van Vliet based on like everything we'd heard, knowing that the, the, the cap was jumping. I was like, yeah, he's probably going to get that. That's why Toronto hasn't signed him. Like they, they don't really want to pony up and pay that much, but I think it's so important to know with Houston, like this is worth it for them. Like this is a team that wants to get better. And I think every time you look at something, you have to know, like, and this is not meant as a slight to their guards last year, but it's like, okay, you have to look at not just from, a playing field of everything else. Like is Fred an, a, an all NBA player unless something drastic happens in the next year or two? No, I don't think he's at that level, but he's like a solid all-star sub all-star level player. And that is so much better than they were getting at the guard spot. Like since James Harden got traded that it's not even funny, like defensively it's a massive upgrade offensively with just knowing how to space himself, being able to play off the ball um, being able to initiate things like he is the best they've had at that spot across the board. Um, like I, I, I saw a bunch of people continually pulling the finishing numbers and I get it, but that's also like part of that is what Toronto's um, you know, what Toronto setup was like, they really weren't built to be this team that was awesome for a guard initiating in the half court. Like they were all about like trying to, I mean, in some ways, like I don't, I don't mean to sound reductive because they, they, they did find offensive success at points last year, but like they almost played like 90s style basketball in some ways. A lot of what they did was trying to create out of, out of, out of mismatches and, and out of going one on one to try and draw two. like that was a lot of their offense. So I think with that, it's important to note that um, his numbers really upticked quite a bit efficiency wise once they traded for Yaka Pertle and he had like a real screen and roll guy to play with. Um, yeah. But point being, like, this is just a really damn good basketball player. This is a team that wants to get better next year. This is a team that needs vets in the room. It makes sense. Like, I think that sometimes, like, I understand uh, getting jarred by numbers and and really wanting to evaluate contracts and efficiency. Um, but at the same point, like, I just think that there was way too much overthinking done with the Fred Van Vliet deal. Um, like, I think that was a good deal for them. You can definitely question – what the last deal might look like, but again, like it's a three-year deal. He's still in his prime. I think that he's still going to be in his pr- like. I I just have a feeling that he's going to be a guy who carries over into his thirties. Could be wrong on that, but um, I I really liked that move for Fred, and I'm I'm excited to see it on court. And also too, like I got multiple when I tweeted out that I was just like I like this. Like I got a lot of well, he's going to take reps away from Amon Thompson. I'm like that's not how this works. Like. First off, I don't think Ahmed's going to start. I could be wrong on that. Maybe you know, maybe he ends up starting as the year goes on. But number one, like there's always going to be a guard on the court alongside Ahmed Thompson. Like there's always just going to be five players on the court. And also, like especially like Fred is so good playing off the ball. That's part of what made him so yes. effective in the first place in Toronto. 
That's why I really like bringing him in because he can do both. And I think obviously he's better at playing off the ball than he is on the ball. But again, it's all about what he can do to really help their younger players get better. Like I think he could be really a dynamic in two man game with, with Shangun. He could be really dynamic in, in setting up and playing alongside Jalen Green. And like I just there's so much that you can look at that that makes sense schematically and what they want to do that I just think was really hard for me to nitpick and uh and 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 quibble about dollars with. Yeah, no, so I'm completely with you. I thought the Fred deal was great for them. And I said as much the day it happened. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I like the Fred deal for them. Mm-hmm. I think it makes complete and total sense. No matter what direction you're going, if you're trying to win more games, if you're trying to help kids develop, having Fred Van Vliet on your roster is really valuable. Point blank. Uh, he can play on or off the ball. He can shoot. He's a good pick and roll playmaker. Like He's a good defender. That's the big thing I said. Like, the fact that he is a really good point of attack defender that can really fight through screens will actually allow you to get an even better eval on Alper and Shangun defensively. I'm pretty sure Shangun's really bad defensively, but like I want to know for sure before I have to make a decision on him at the end of the day. So th- this allows you to do that. Also, if you want to play lineups of a Men Thompson, Jalen Green, and Fred Van Vliet, that's like super easy. That that is a lineup that works. There is enough size. There's enough athleticism. There's enough defensive capability between those three. You can absolutely swing that and make that work, in my opinion. So I love that move for them. Um, like there's there's no there's no worries here for me on this. The, the worries that I have are more around Dylan Brooks and like putting Dylan Brooks into this structure, but the Fred stuff is fine. Like the, the Fred stuff is absolutely fantastic and he will help this team be better. He will help Jalen green, get easier shots. He will help develop a men Thompson. He will help develop their defense by being a captain. Like he, he th- this is, this is a home run in my opinion to sign Fred Van Vliet for Houston. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and you know, going off that too, like you just mentioned with Dylan Brooks, um, I, I will say, I mean, I, on one hand, I think like it is very clear that this team is, I mean, with, with everything that Ime Udoka said and, and what they've done, it's like, hey, we, we think we're going to make our money with defense and we're obviously going to be developing as an offensive team. But let's start by building an infrastructure there. So I get the, the uh, signing Dylan aspect. I, I was pretty surprised by the money. Um, like I and the length, I think the length actually surprised me more than the money did, to be honest. Yes. Um, and and I to to be fair too, like I would imagine that there were tons of conversations between him and and the Rockets and in, in front office. Um, like I don't think that this is something that they just went out and did on a whim. But I just I I definitely have a lot of questions on this. I need to see it play out. Like I totally get the. Um, what he brings defensively, I still think that in some ways he gets underrated as a defender because of how people view him in other ways. Um, I definitely need to see it offensively again. Like I think the player that we saw in Memphis the first two seasons, that's like, like I thought Dylan Brooks was gonna, going to be a really good role player for a long time off of his first two seasons where like he was okay defensively, but I thought it was mainly about like, okay, he brought some additional shot creation, but it was mostly like he could shoot. He was in the right places. And that was good. 
I, I think like a lot's going to depend on what his shot gets back to. Um, you know, cutting out a lot of the chaff in his his diet, but I just think that stuff generally is a little bit harder to do than gets made out to be. Yeah. Um, and especially like when it's when it comes from a like like he came in he he wasn't doing that his first two years in Memphis, which is what was so confusing to see it play out like that. Like I know to a degree like the Grizzlies kind of needed a little bit of it, but to where it got to, definitely not. Um, so I think it's less that I like I it's just more of a question mark for me because I know what Dylan Brooks can be. I understand the vision to a degree. Um, I just think it's a big commitment from Houston to do that. They obviously had the cap space to do it, but it's not just the, like you mentioned, it's not just the encore commitment. Like there's a little bit of like, okay, he has a very brash personality and that legitimately cost the Grizzlies at times last year. Yeah. Um, so I think how they work that in to the fold and, and make all that happen is going to be really interesting. And then on the, on the, on the con, on the converse side of that, like, okay, well, what happens with Kevin Porter Jr. now? Because this is a guy who has very much not been wanting to to take a backseat and be a backup. Um, like, that's been – I believe that was on record that he doesn't want to be a six-man. Like, um, I, I – again, like, to be fair, like, this is a new staff. Um, this is a new opportunity. Uh, and I do genuinely think, like, if, if Kevin Porter Jr. buys into being – a, a a creator off the bench. Like, I think that he could really thrive in that. Um, I think a lot's yeah. going to depend on what happens defensively and um, and how he continues to come along as a decision maker. But he did make some strides as a, as a, as a, as a, as a playmaker last year. And um, I think playing alongside, um, like continuing to grow along Shang is going to be really important. Continuing to, like, I think he's somebody who really benefits from having a big who can who can roll and be a lob threat, and that's not really something that they went out and right. addressed. And not that. Then again, like to be, like I'm not saying they need to build things around KPJ. I'm just saying like it just gives me more questions about how that ends up fitting and, and looking. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens with that. Um, because again, it's just it's a lot more questions for me than answers with with how this ended up. So yeah, uh, first and foremost, we talked about Matisse Thibel. Matisse Thibel's contract, according to Woj, just got matched by Portland. Okay. Like, like I said, I thought it was pretty 50-50 whether or not they would match it, and they decided to match it today. Um, that just happened uh, two minutes ago, it looks like. As we're reporting this, I see the Woj tweet. It says two minutes in the corner. So funny enough that we talked about that, and while we've been talking Portland has matched it. I think you can make a case for it with Portland, like I said. You know, yeah. take defensive pressure off their guards, easy enough. Um, in regard to Brooks, Dylan Brooks took 15 shots per game over the course of the last four years. And that was for a good team. Do you think he's going to come into like this team and be like, oh, no, like I'm going to take a backseat? That's kind of what my thing is. Like, yeah, I mean, my hope is, happen. yeah, again, this it's more my hope than actual assumption. But, like, yeah, my hope is that he comes in and has, like, a very big come-to-Jesus moment because of this offseason. Like, to, like, honestly, we – part of what's so fascinating about the social media era in some ways is, like, how much it can – I mean, either make you think or not think, depending on how you look at it or, or who you are. But, like, I – I have never seen that kind of like public land basing for a guy who's not a star. Like that was, that was kind of wild. Not saying it wasn't warranted in some ways, but um, 
watching the way that that played out, like, I don't know if Dylan's a big social media guy. He doesn't seem to be, but, um, you know, the way that that went and like, I mean, it, it, just thinking about it, like, I mean, can you imagine if all the stuff with Deshaun Stevenson had happened um, when, <laughs> when Twitter was a thing, like it was kind of a thing. Well, actually, no, it wasn't really a thing at that point. No, it hadn't it been created yet. I was, yeah. thinking, I was like seven or eight, but like, Thinking back to then, like, if you bring that to now, like, can you imagine what that looks like? And I think, like, Dylan's stuff, like, got even more than that would have. And that's, like, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. It's just I, 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 I'm I, hopeful that, that things have changed up for him because I do think there have been really bright moments for him as a player. Um, but like you mentioned, I think with, with what Houston was last year and some of the questions they've had, I'm uh, it definitely makes me scratch my head a little bit. Yeah, like if you told me Dylan Brooks, like seasons and Sloan here says, like if you could tell me Dylan Brooks was going to take 10 shots on just threes and transition layups and he'd play the defense he was going to play, he's probably worth 480, to be honest. Like he, yeah. he's about worth that. Um, I'd agree. But it, it, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Maybe, maybe he surprises me. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Porter Jr., and I think Kevin Porter Jr. is somebody that Houston fans have been like, really intrigued by in terms of what this means for him so i think it is worth us like taking a second here and he's one person i have not talked about yet in regard to this i think he's a fascinating player like he's always been the absolute one of the more creative talents that you will find in the nba uh, his ability to handle, his ability to play like in between cadences as a ball handler, his ability to get to his pull up when he needs to is really effective. He's taken real strides as a catch and shoot player, and he took strides over the course of the last two years as actually being a pretty good defender. And I don't want to say he's like a good defender. He's like a solid defender now. Yeah, I think he's solid off the ball, on the ball is woof, um, hit or miss. Times, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. I think it was funny because I think he got treated like a worse defender than Jalen Green a lot last year, and I I didn't agree with that. Oh, he's definitely a better defender than Jalen Green. Like he's drastic. Jalen Green was one of the worst guard defenders in basketball last season. Um, he's super young. It's his second year. Hopefully that changes. But uh, he he was quite poor last year defensively. The, the thing with Porter though is, I I do think that his decision-making has not gotten all that much better when he's asked to run point where he's been effective. Typically has been where he plays off the ball and is able to kind of react. Like it's a similar deal, like D'Angelo Russell. Like I don't want D'Angelo Russell running the show, but if you just let D'Angelo Russell cook a little bit and just like get buckets and let him focus on what he's good at, which is catching and shooting, attacking closeouts, creating advantages in ball screen situations. I think he's actually pretty effective. I I think Kevin has a little bit of ways to go to get to that level, but I can see a world where he reaches that level, I guess is my point. Like I actually think he could eventually become a pretty good sixth man kind of guy. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think a lot's just going to, I mean, a lot will depend on, um, what this staff change does for them. Cause I, th- I think what stuff, and it's, it wasn't just him last year. I'm not trying to paint it like that, but there were some very notable points last year where Kevin didn't have the ball and he just stood there and like was yeah. very dejected, was clearly not trying to make himself part of the play. 
And again, it's not just him. Like we've seen that happen multiple times, multiple places with a lot of guys, but that was super notable last year. Um, like you just kind of never want to see that. And that does definitely, you know, again, it's, it's the same stuff that raises eyebrows a little bit. Um, but I, I'm with you. Like, I think that there is like, I, I just hope that he, I'm, I'm biased because I was listening to a really cool pod with Jamal Crawford on it yesterday talking about the 20, 2009, 2010 Hawks, which is one of my favorite teams of all time. Um, but like, I, I would love to see him just like spend a month with Jamal Crawford, just talking and, and figuring out how to most utilize himself as a player who can look at coming off the benches as a positive in terms of making his game better and um, becoming a player who, who does continue to impact winning at a higher degree. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I, I tend to, I feel like I'm more positive on what KPJ can be than, than general uh, like, NBA wide analysis has been, has been on it, but I, I think I'm with you. The the thing that is a bit frustrating about Kevin now is that he's like pretty properly paid, right? Like his upside is properly paid now. Like you yeah. could make a case that like there's a chance this is a good deal if he takes like an immense leap forward as a decision maker. I I would be surprised by that, but like. If he does continue to knock down shots, plays as a sixth man, continues to be creative, like continues to play good off ball defense, you you can totally make a case that he's worth sixteen million dollars a year. But there's not going to be any surplus value on that contract either, and that's where I think it gets a little bit harder uh, to manage if, if you're Houston. Uh, do you have any other Houston thoughts? I feel like I kind of exacerbated mine uh, at this point. No, I can uh I can go off that. Um I think my biggest not maybe not questions wrong, but I think Jock Lando is a really solid player. Um yep. I don't have an issue with with the money or anything. I just was, was a little bit um unsure of this for for Houston and kind of want to see it play out. Like obviously he's not the same player as 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 Shangun, but he does a lot of the same ideas like okay, you will you probably want to play him closer to the level of the screen. You're not going to drop him. He's not that level of rim protector. Like you're going to get some of the same ideas of playmaking stuff, even if he's not like um, I wouldn't consider him the same level of, of creator. Obviously, like I actually think he's probably a little bit better of a quick decision maker than than Shangun. Like that's as we've talked about multiple times. Like that's kind of the next step for him. He doesn't have the same passing acumen or, or scoring. Um, yeah. So I do like bringing that, especially like what you, when you think about like what he can do as a screener for them. I really like that, but he's not a really a lob threat. Like I do think there's stuff to be excited about with what he can do in in uh, you know playing out of the pocket and whatnot. But um, I think it's just interesting because like I was kind of looking for them to to maybe go a different direction and, and add a player who is you know maybe a little, a little bit more traditional as a five, or or maybe just you you get more of a and, and, you know, maybe like the, the actual center market wasn't open for that with them. So I get to a degree like wanting to roll with kind of the same image. And, and maybe in some ways, too, this is, you know, what I thought about because we saw it quite a bit last year. It's like, all right, maybe this is more of an emphasis on saying, OK, we want to see Jabari play the five more next year. Like we want to continue seeing looks like that. Um, we want to open up more things like that. Um, so I'm interested to see what that means and what that continues to be, because um, I think that there's ways that that can continue to play out. Uh, but again, like I think it, it, not that it was a bad deal. Like I, I, I think it was interesting and I, I didn't have a problem with it, but 
again, it just it's it's more of like, okay, well, there this is the mold that they really want to go into, and this is what they're viewing. Um, so I was, uh, again, like not, I didn't think it was good or bad. It was just more like, okay, I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out throughout the year. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about here is the reaction to Brandon Miller's summer league. <laughs> Let's take a step back here. Um, do I think Brandon Miller was the right pick at number two? I don't, uh, I've been, abundantly clear about that for months on end at this point and i don't need to say more about it do i think that people are losing their minds watching brandon miller a skinny like six foot nine 195 pound forward have to create every single shot on his own because they're running him out there with a starting lineup of nick smith jr bryce mcgowan's kai jones and james book book night among whom there is not like a I don't know, like, is Nick Smith the best passer in that group? And he's like a C minus passer, maybe. So like Brandon Miller has to create literally everything in those lineups. He has to do it while being still not strong enough to like actually drive and create plays yet, which again, big concern of mine, like functional strength as a driver, being able to embrace contact, being able to do things 100% with it. There is nothing about the group he's playing with with these Hornets that accentuates anything he does well. I would really like to see them maybe put Amari Bailey in the starting lineup ahead of Nick Smith. Like I, I would like to see them do myriad other things to like do just to get him going at the very least. I thought like I watched this game against the Warriors and I thought that certainly uh nick smith looked a little bit better in that game than what i thought he looked like in the first game holy shit is he bad on defense still but like whatever we'll get past that right like do something else please i'm begging charlotte's like coaching staff when they get to vegas like please just do something a little bit different to make brandon miller like have a chance because right now i don't think he really has a chance when operating in a lot of these lineups yeah, um, not to go like too long and broad on this, but I think it's just so interesting the way that people react to, and it's le- I think it's even less about the guards. I think it's more about like when you have guys who are like two through four that can handle the ball. I, I mean, getting accustomed to NBA length, speed, timing, I, I, it, it gets undersold how big of a jump that is. Because like, yes, like you can play against NBA level talent and athletes in college or, or the G League or um, or OTE, wherever you're at. Um, but it's just not the same as seeing, okay, the entire roster is everyone like that. And the schemes are a little bit different. And it's not even that they're different. It's like, okay, these are the same schemes you've been seeing since you were a kid, but okay, they're executed well. And even if they're not executed well, they're executed faster than you've ever seen them before. And like that is just so different when you're coming in and being asked to to handle the ball with like 28% usage or whatever. Um any anybody who's a rookie that I've talked to, like any, like, I mean, I've talked to multiple rookies during the W season. That's the biggest thing is like getting used to length and timing and just like having somebody who's like capable of pressuring you full court for an entire game, especially when you're big. Like, I think that's the biggest issue. Like we talked about this during the season. I was like, okay, I'm interested to see how quickly it takes teams to be like, Hey, we're just going to throw a smaller guy 
who is pretty sturdy that can get under Brandon Miller. Like, let's throw him into his handle. And I think Brandon struggled with that a little bit. Like, I haven't watched every minute of his summer league stuff, but I think that stood out. And then when you look at the other end, too, like getting adjusted to your own length and timing on the defense end is a really big adjustment, too. And, like, I think that's one that will come within, like, the first month or two of being in the NBA because you just get used to it. You get you watch things in film. Like, again, it's so different. Like, you spend all this time – being the biggest, fastest, strongest for the most part, the, the being able to use your length as as such a deterrent in, in some ways, not that he was like amazing at that at Alabama, but one of the biggest problems I had with him at Alabama was he really liked to catch guys. Like he was really good at like, okay, I'm going to use my chest and my arms to keep you at bay instead of necessarily moving my feet all the time. And he could really get away with that at Alabama. He's been fouling the shit out of people in some league. And I think a lot of that is because he doesn't move his feet in tandem with his arms as well sometimes. That yep. takes time. He's going to get better at that. Like that, that just, it comes with, with, with really needing to get into a rhythm. Like I, th- I'm not surprised that he's somebody who has struggled off rip at summer league. Like that yeah. just happens. That's the kind of player who I think when you're just, when you're a big guy who can handle the ball that is trying to figure things out, like you're not built for summer league. Like, I think it's going to take time for him to continue getting reps. And like, it's worth noting too, like he's going to be in such a different role with the Hornets. Like, it's going to be a condensed down version of this where he's playing off of a Lamella ball, where he gets to do a lot more off movement and playing off the second side. Like it's just different. Like I'm, I'm not worried. Um, I don't think that anybody should take this as worry. Like if this was the second or third year in summer league, yes, I would be worried. That's very different. Yeah. Like, like ha- have some real concerns right now about Kai Jones and James Booknight. Yeah. <laughs> like they do not look good at summer league right now. Like Brandon Pajemski, like outplayed those dudes in that game like Lester Quinones like outplayed those dudes in in that game like I would have very real concerns if I was Charlotte about those guys I do not have real concerns uh, about Brandon Miller at all especially given the fact that like a big skill of his is the fact that we know that he can catch and shoot and shoot from NBA distance already from three and there are no catch and shoot opportunities yeah the last thing I would say about this though because I do think that, um, like, again, like I said, I think it's going to take time, and I think he will get there defensively. But this is part of why I just get hesitant to call some guys like, oh, this is a this is a, a multi-position. This is a versatile defender. I'm like, he's theoretically versatile, but he's not there yet. Like, it's going to take time. So I just – I do it, – it's just it, – like, I think it's so worth noting, like uh, – and, I'm again, this is not directed to you. This is just directed to anybody. Like, I think, like, so much of it comes down to – okay, what are the things that translate? What are the things that are like biggest that are going to be the biggest uh, things that are different for a guy coming up to this level? And like we mentioned, I think length, timing, speed, that takes so much getting used to. Like, again, it's just not really any need to be worried about it right now. And, And honestly, like maybe even by his fourth or fifth game in Vegas, he starts to look pretty decent. He gets a little bit slowed down and feels more comfortable. And like, it might not come like that. It might take him more time. Like, even with Keegan Murray looked awesome in summer league. And then it took him a few games to kind of figure it out in the NBA. And like, it's never going to be a linear path. It's always going to be up and down and sideways. And you're going to deal with different things. And it just, it just takes time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's just going to take a minute for Brandon Miller. It's fine. He'll figure it out. Not real concerned. Uh, okay. Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Because we're closing in on my heart out. Got Tell you. the people what's going on. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, you can find me on Twitter and I guess threads now at MG underscore Schindler. Um, I'm kind of everywhere doing everything as much as I can. I'm out working on a feature in Connecticut right now. I will be in Las Vegas from the 10th to the 16th, um, which is like five days too long. Um, but we'll make it work. Sam, I can't wait to see you out there. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah, I am in Las Vegas. I am here. I am very tired because, Mark, what time did I text you last night? Uh, I think you texted me at, what, 3 in the morning? 3 or 4? I did. I texted you at 3.10 in the morning last night, and uh, I have not really slept much since then because my body is jet-lagged and it is dying a slow but sure uh, it's it's undergoing a demise at this point. Um, I went to the gym at 6 a.m. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, around 12 o'clock, I'm going to crash and I'm going to feel just about done and, and totally cooked because you might still only be 26. You know, I'm 33. I'm not old yet, but I'm like, you know, I'm at the point where I'm starting to get a little cooked in terms yeah. of sleeping and stuff. So I will podcast at some point this week, probably with like Andrew Schlecht, because I love Schlecht and he'll be out here um, among a number of other people that will be out here. And I'm sure we'll talk about 90 different things that happen at Summer League. Uh, That's about all I've got. I'm trying to think if I have anything coming writing wise. I don't, but keep it locked here. Uh, We will be back. I think producer Jacob's back. So we're going to cut some videos for the show. Um, over on the YouTube channel, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. But with all that being said, until next time, we'll talk soon.